Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, now as we come to your word, God, we pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to understand, um, help us to apply, help us to live your word, Lord. Help us to uh, leave here this morning with a renewed commitment, focus, desire to serve you and to serve our neighbors, uh, to honor you with our lives and to be uh, a people who reveal and reflect you uh, in the words that we speak, and the actions that we carry out. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There's a, there's a question that we hear uh, quite often. Uh, it's become kind of a regular staple, uh, at least in, in our house. Um, and it usually comes around about dinner time or lunchtime. And that is, what are you in the mood for? You know, um, what are you in the mood for? It's a question that we ask, not just in connection, however, with the meals that we eat, um, it's kind of almost become uh, a mantra of our society, of our culture. What are you in the mood for? We, we've become a society or a culture that's driven more by our feelings, by our emotions, by, um, you know, the, the moods that we possess at that time. I know, personally, I struggle at times when, you know, um, I'm in a certain mood, didn't get enough sleep, didn't get enough food, didn't get enough whatever. Um, I, I'm not the, the best person to be around in those times, in those circumstances. And uh, then in other times, it doesn't matter what you throw at me, I'm, I'm going to be cheerful and, and whatever because that's just the mood I'm in. Um, but when we think about life and we think about uh, what God has called us to do, who God has called us to be, He's called us to move beyond our moods. He's called us to move beyond how we're feeling about something, what we're, what, what we're experiencing at that moment. He's called us to be a people who live and act with a certain mindset, with a certain perspective. This morning, as we continue our journey through the Psalms, uh, we come to Psalm 15. And Psalm 15 is an, is an entrance psalm. That is, it's a psalm that would have been sung at the very beginning of worship, uh, a call to worship, if you will. It's, it's, a, it's a song that invites uh, Israel, uh, invites them to acknowledge and to, to recognize uh, the, the, the attitudes and the mindset and the perspective that is necessary for worship. That as we come into worship God, uh, we, we come not just at that moment, we come not just at that situation, at that circumstance and in that place, but we bring with us the life that we live. We bring with us the, the, the actions and the attitudes and the mindsets that we have outside that place of worship. Worship from a biblical perspective is an ongoing reality. It's not a, a momentary situation. It, it's an integration of our very lives with God. And so this is acknowledged in our psalm today. And, and what, the, what the writer wants us to understand, what the psalmist wants us to understand in writing this, is that one of the key components to having a proper attitude, to having a proper outlook, to, to living a life of worship, if you will, is integrity. Integrity is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of God. Now, when I say the word integrity, you probably lots of images, lots of thoughts enter your head in terms of, of what that looks like and what that exactly means. Um, you know, somebody defined integrity once as doing what's right regardless of who's watching or what situation you're in. And, and that's a good working definition of integrity. I would define integrity as... Um, having a character that doing what is right is the default setting 
for your actions. In other words, by default setting, what I'm talking about there is when you have a computer or you have a program on the computer or whatever, there are certain things that are automatically there when you start. Okay? Um, and, and, and so every time you start, if you, if you want to change those, you've got to go in and change those settings. Okay? That's, that's what a computer default setting is. Well, in the Christian life, we all have default settings. What is the thing that you fall back on when things happen? What is, the, what is your kind of working mindset? What is, the, what is the way that you start out your day, start out your interaction, start out your engagement? Well, I would suggest that if we're going to have an, an attitude, a, a proper mindset of integrity, that we have a, a starting place that we're going to do what's right in that circumstance, in that situation. And I think the psalmist reflects that uh, in a number of ways here in the psalm. So uh, looking at Psalm 15, it says, O Lord, O Yahweh, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not bring out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. The conclusion there, that the, the shall never be moved, is, is again that, that reflection that, that these things, these, these right actions, these right activities are a reflection of a heart of integrity. Now the passage starts with this this question: Who shall sojourn in your tent? The the word sojourn there, it, it actually at its root has the idea of resident alien. Okay, that is a a person who has no right or place uh, in that particular location, but resides there because of the gracious permission of landowner. Now think about that in terms of worship. When we come to God and worship, we have no right to it. We, we don't. We have no, no position that says, I deserve to worship God. I deserve to be in God's presence. I deserve to walk with God. We don't have that. We don't possess that. In Isaiah 6, one of the, the great worship passages, where Isaiah is standing there in the temple, and, and he sees the vision of, of God high and lifted up, and he sees the seraphim flying around, and they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What is Isaiah's response there? Woe is me. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. What's going on there? Isaiah sees the worship of the true God by these angelic beings. And he wants to participate. He wants to take part. He wants to join in their song. But he realizes I'm, he's not even worthy to utter God's praise, to, to, to sing God's greatness. He, he, he's not worthy to, to express those words. We don't deserve what God grants us. That's why it's called grace. 
And the psalmist here starts with that idea with, by using this words, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who will be allowed permission to dwell, to, to live, to stand in this place of worship? And the implicit answer is the person who has graciously received God's work in his life. The person who has graciously been uh, able to, to, to find themselves, to find a connection with God. It's, it's God imparting His character into us. In Isaiah's case there in Isaiah 6, what happens? The, the seraphim goes and, and grabs a, a coal from the altar and touches his lips and says, your sins are forgiven, your sins are carried away. And it's in that moment, it's in that experience that Isaiah finds his voice of worship, finds his response, so that when God says, who shall we send? Who will go for us? Isaiah screams out, here am I, send me. And it's in that moment that we see that worship communicated, that, that worship related. God changing, transforming Isaiah's nature. And, and that is what is necessary for true worship to take place. It's what's necessary for integrity to take hold. Integrity is not something necessarily we do, although it is expressed in actions, as we'll see. Integrity is something that we are. It's something that God creates in us. It's, it's a transformation that God brings. And so the psalmist continues on to, to give us an expression of what that looks like. How do we identify integrity in our lives? How do we identify God's gracious work in our lives? That we have been transformed, that we are Walking with God. The first thing that, that we see here is, is a person of integrity demonstrates loyalty to Yahweh. Talks here about walking blamelessly, doing what is right, or, or practicing righteousness might be another way to, to render that particular phrase. It, it's not perfection that the psalmist is talking about. It's not perfection that, that we can... Uh, encounter or that we seek here in this life or in this circumstance. That's not what drives us. What drives us is dedication to a relationship with God. It's that loyalty. It's that expression of, of I belong to God. I'm in relationship with God. I'm going to walk with God. Again, think of it in terms of the relationships you have. There are relationships you have that you are dedicated to, you're loyal to. And even when those relationships go haywire or, or don't work out or something happens that's not exactly uh, beneficial to the overall relationship, what you stay in it, you work through it, you, 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 you find a way to, to move forward in it. Why? Because you're loyal to that person. You're dedicated to that person. And that's the, that's the idea that we have here in terms of connection with God. That we are dedicated to God. That even when we mess up, even when we wander, even when we struggle, even when we slip up, even when we have these moments where we're not all that we're designed to be. That we're dedicated to, to, to staying loyal to Him. We're, gonna, we're going to stay connected to Him again. That's not something we ourselves can engender. It's not something we ourselves can create. It's what God builds into our hearts when He changes us, when He makes us a new creature. 
second aspect of integrity is they speak the truth. The writer here says uh, that he speaks the truth in his heart. Now, again, remember, what is the heart in the Bible? It's not the seat of emotion. It's not the place that we have made it in our culture where it's how I'm feeling about certain situations or circumstances. In the Bible, the heart is the seat of the will. It's where decisions are made. It's where commitments are uh, expressed. And so to say you speak the truth in your heart is what? It's to say that you're speaking truthfully in what you say, in, in, in how you act as well. A lot of times we, we think of truth as a situational reality. We, we've created the, the category of white lies, which are what? They're, they're untruths that are what? Meant to, quote, protect you know, people's feelings. And, and I certainly want to be mindful of, of other people's feelings. I certainly want to be respectful of those things, but I think what we more often need to develop rather than creative ways of telling people that, you know, um, it's not as bad as they think it is, I, I think instead it is, is to, to develop a, a heart and a mindset that, that focuses on the really important things, focuses on our connection with them and our relationship with them. The writer here, when he's talking about the, the speaking the truth in your heart, is, is saying what passes from their lips is consistent with who they are and with the facts. We've become a culture that is dismissive of facts nowadays. We've become a culture that sees behind every corner and around every uh, uh, conversation, every statement, ulterior motives and and untruths and conspiracies. And unfortunately, we become a culture that, that uh, even, in, even in, in the church, that no longer is desirous of actually speaking the truth, but instead is more protective of ourselves and our, and our own power and our own position. We, we fail to recognize that God has called us to stand up for what is right. And, and what we've become instead is, is a people who defines right according to our culture or according to our desires rather than according to God's Word. We've come to God's Word with, with a desire to, to pick and choose the elements that, that fit our categories and fit our mindsets and to ignore those that don't. We need to be a people who are driven by the whole truth. Who, who are driven by a, a connection with God's love for humanity. Who are driven by a connection with God's desire for justice. Who are driven by a connection with the laws and the realities that God's created in this universe. Consistently, consistency through every part of who we are. The third element of integrity is, is a person who speaks no ill of their neighbor, does no evil to their neighbor, does not slander their neighbor. This is the parallelism that we've talked about before. Again, we've become a culture, even in the church, that, that categorizes people that, 
that that views people through a certain lens. Oh, you're you're this person. You're you're this political affiliation. You're this religious affiliation. You're you're this whatever. Well, you must believe these things, and and we speak ill of them not because of the truth, but because we've classified them, because we've distanced ourselves from them. And it's easier to work from a mentality of us versus them than it is for us to work from a mentality of all of us together. Integrity seeks to to make this reality not just an internal matter, but, but an external matter. How do we treat others? The Bible consistently and constantly links the idea of loving our God with all our heart, mind, and soul with loving our neighbor as ourselves. Those two are inseparable. Jesus himself said those two truths are inseparable. You cannot say you love the Father and then treat people. People made in His image as if they're insignificant or as if they're unimportant to the equation of our relationship with Him. He calls us to love others. He calls us to, to speak well of others. He calls us to act with integrity. Alongside that, and the relationships that we have, however, is the, the reality that we, we choose our friends wisely. The writer here talks about not, not taking no pleasure in evil. The vile person is despised, but he honors those who love the Lord. Again, he, he not, again, keep in mind what he's just said. Keep in mind the context of the word. He's not saying that we develop an attitude that says, well, you're you're you don't believe things exactly like I do, so therefore I'm going to despise you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a a, a dimension, a mindset toward what is right and what is wrong. He's talking about calling people that we love uh, out when they do things that are not expressions of integrity. He's talking about holding people accountable for their actions and for their mindsets and and for their behavior. Not out of a sense of superiority, not out of a sense of, well, I got this together and you don't, or I'm more righteous than you and therefore I'm going to correct you, but out of a sense of we're in this journey together. We're walking this path together. And it's hard in a fallen world to maintain righteousness. We need each other. I need your help to maintain my walk with the Lord. I need to be corrected when I step out of those bounds. And I make those mistakes. I, I, I say words I shouldn't say. I, I think thoughts I shouldn't think. I, I express ideas I shouldn't express. I blame people I shouldn't blame. And to be called out on those things is to is by a, a brother or a sister in Christ is to experience what it means to grow and what it, what it means to walk blamelessly. But we've become a culture that's so sensitive to being called wrong that we've changed the very definition of what right and wrong is. We don't like to be told, you've made a mistake. And so as big a part of this as in terms of choosing our friends wisely in terms of how we treat others is being open to how others respond to us. And it's building relationships with people who will indeed keep us in check, 
who will indeed correct us when we're wrong. A fifth principle of what integrity looks like is that the person who walks in integrity keeps their word. Even when it costs them something, they keep their word. Swears to their own hurt does not change, the writer here says. In other words, I made you a promise. I'm going to keep that promise. One of my favorite childhood books that I used to love to read to my kids and can't wait to read to my grandkids, hopefully someday maybe, um, is Horton Hatches the Egg. You know, if you don't know the story, this bird asks this elephant to sit on her egg. Okay, which kind of crazy to begin with, but nonetheless, he agrees to do it. And throughout the story, throughout the book, all sorts of trials, ridicule, hardship, snow, uh, all sorts of weather and all of that come his way. He says, I, I, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant faithful 100%. He's going to stay on that egg regardless of what comes his way. Why? Because he said he would. And we become uh, a people too often that that... We keep our word as long as it's convenient. You know, we, we make a business deal with somebody, and yes, I'll, I'll sell you that, or yes, I'll, I'll do that for you. And, and then, you know, an hour or so later, someone comes along with a quote of a better deal, and we do what? We, we break our word to the person before because well, you got to make money, right? And we make these excuses, we, we, we make these, these avenues, these, these loopholes where we don't have to keep our word. And it's, it comes home. It costs us. A lot of, a lot of the, the issues we face in our country today around the world with indigenous peoples and so forth is because we didn't keep our word initially. A lot of our missionary, uh, the blockades that our missionaries find in terms of sharing the love of Christ has, become, has come because the church itself has not kept its word in relating to people and communicating who they are and what they do. So it's important for us to, to have the long view in terms of keeping our word, not just in terms of that, that moment, that situation, that circumstance, but the consequences of what it may cost somebody in terms of their relationship with God in the years to come because we misrepresented God by our lack of faithfulness to what we said we would do. Along the same lines, person of integrity doesn't pursue personal gain at the cost of another. The writer here says that it does not put out his money at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. The idea here is similar to what we would call the loan shark today. 
but it's it's broader than that. It has a broader application. It, it, it has to do with taking advantage of other people in their circumstances or in their situation. Elevating ourselves at the cost of them because we know we have the upper hand. We have the better positioning. These are all communications. These are all expressions of what it looks like to have integrity, what, what a person of integrity walks with. But these all come back to an issue of connection with God. Letting Him work in our life. Letting Him transform us. There are certain things you can do this morning. There are certain things you can begin to practice this morning that will build these other things. I'm not here suggesting this morning that, that we build this checklist. I'm not here this morning saying, yeah, well, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. What I'm here rather suggesting is that we need to connect with God. We need to relate to God. We need to walk with God. Because as we do that, then we'll begin to practice these things naturally. They will be an outgrowth. They will be our default setting. And where that all begins is surrender to God. Coming to God in a stance, in a, in a mindset, in an attitude in which we say, I can't do that on my own. I'm not capable of walking that way. This doesn't characterize my life. This doesn't reveal or reflect the types of attitudes that I have. I'm not a person who keeps my word. I'm not a person who demonstrates loyalty. I'm not a person who, who speaks the truth. I'm not a person who walks with integrity. I need help. And we reach out to God and because He's already reached out to us and we respond to that and we surrender to His leadership, to His Lordship, to His authority. But as believers, as those who have already done that, who have already made that commitment, who have already surrendered their life, how do we continue this growth? How do we continue that walk? Well, I think one of the big things is learning to trust God. How big is your God? Do you really see Him as capable of taking care of you? Do you really see Him as capable of seeing you through the circumstances and situations of this life? Because I'm convinced the number one reason we break our integrity, the number one reason we step out of the bounds of what is proper and what's appropriate in our life, is we think we need to handle the situation instead of trusting God. We think we need to manipulate people. We think we need to fix the system in our favor. We think we need to, to um, change the rules, create the loopholes. And we think we need to do all those things because at the, at the heart of who we are, we really just don't trust God to do it. We don't trust Him to take care of it. We don't trust Him to see us through the financial hurt we might get by taking the offer that was offered first instead of replacing it with the later one. We don't, we don't trust God to, to, to allow us to, to maintain a relationship or build a relationship when we've spoken the truth. We don't trust God in our friendships and in our relationships. 
And because we don't trust Him, we step away from integrity. How do we learn to trust Him? We learn to trust Him by listening to Him. By looking in His Word and and seeing what it is that He said there and, and putting those things into action. How do you learn to trust anybody? You give them a chance. And when they successfully carried out that, that chance, successfully fulfilled your expectations, then what? Your trust builds. And over time, and as that relationship builds, and, and more and more examples of that trust settle in, your confidence in them builds. The same thing is true with God. I think too often the only thing we quote ever trusted God with is our eternal destiny. And you think, well, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it, Tim? Yeah, it is a pretty big deal. But I think we almost have the mentality with that, well, if I get there on the other side and it doesn't work out, okay, at least I tried. Okay. By then it's too late to do anything about it anyway, right? So at least I tried. That's not really trust. That's more of a gamble. That's more of a rolling the dice. To really express and experience trust in God, it means doing it now on a day-to-day basis. Seeing what His Word has said, seeing what His Word has called us to, and saying, I'm going to act on that. I'm going to live in that. I'm going to walk in that. We listen to His Word. And then we worship Him. The psalm is, again, just a reminder, the psalms at their heart are songs of worship. They're songs that Israel would have sung in their worship services. They're expressions of their heart and their mind, and their emotions to the God who has made them, who has called them, who has redeemed them. And the way we grow in integrity, the way we grow in trust, the way we grow in listening to Him is by practicing, experiencing worship in the lives we live, in regular meetings such as this, coming together to encourage one another, to to offer hope to one another, to to point to God with one another. If this were our entrance song as a church today, how many of us would be able to enter into this place tomorrow? Again, it's not by checking off the checklist. It basically comes down to the first and the last ideas here. It's a relationship with God. When we sing the praises, when we sing how great is our God, when we sing the the other songs, just give me Jesus. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? 
Integrity means what? We sing those because they are our song. They are expressions of who we are. They are communication of our hearts and of our minds. Do we have that connection? Do you have that connection with God? If not, today I invite you, I encourage you, as we go to Lord in prayer in just a moment here, to, to, to lay that at His feet. To say, God, I'm not walking in the way I should be walking. I'm not walking with integrity. Integrity, doing what's right, is not my default setting for decisions. And I can't do it on my own. I need Your power. I need Your transformation. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you, you've never submitted to Him. You've never given your heart, your, your life, your very being to God. Through the power of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and in rising from the tomb, then we invite you first and foremost to that truth and that reality. Again, it's as simple as going to Him and saying, I surrender. I give you who I am. And then trusting Him to do with you what only He can do. And that's change the very heart of who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come, God, I, I confess my own failures, my own limitations in regard to integrity at times. God, I, I confess that those times where I where I failed in that regard have been when I didn't trust you. When I didn't let you take care of the situation, but tried to work it out myself. God, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that you would help all of us to develop a desire, a commitment to walk with integrity. to be truthful in the words we speak. Not working off any window or guilt by association or any of those things that so often shape our words and our expressions, Lord, but working from a mindset of loving our neighbor and revealing You in all of our actions and attitudes. God, I pray that You'd help us to, to worship You. In spirit and in truth, as your son said we would. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, that you would draw them in this moment, that you would convict them, that you would speak to their hearts, to their minds, help them to see their desperate need more than their next breath, Lord, that they need you. help them to respond to that. Lord, as we go from this place this morning, we pray that you would help us to be the people you've called us to be. The salt and the light to an earth that lives in darkness. We praise you and we thank you for your goodness. In Christ's name. Amen.